Well, good evening again. Thank you very much for leading us in worship. I'm really blessed that you're here tonight. I'm sure the Lord is more blessed than I am. I appreciate your commitment to the Word of God. I also appreciate your commitment to the fellowship of believers. It is important to be here. I'm glad you're here. I pray that we have a good time. I pray that perhaps I'll be able to impart some small nugget of truth that will help you, that will bless you in some way. This evening I'm going to be talking about trials. I'm going to ask the question, why do Christians have trials? Hello, anyone ever wonder that? Well, we're going to talk about it. Uh, my friend Teresa, I appreciate she's going to give out some study guides or things you can work with. You don't have to work with that, but you have to be aware that since I teach college, I guess I go overboard sometimes. But I think people may like guides or they may like things to complete. I also have listed the scriptures that I will use. That way you don't have to turn to someone and say, what did he say? What scripture was that? You have it there. And actually, what I hope to cover might be a little bit presumptuous, but... I figured at least with these study sheets, you'll be able to continue your study at home, right? Now, I know we've prayed already, but I want to pray primarily, I guess, for me, that I can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know the voice of the Holy Spirit, right? It's important to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is the most neglected member of the Trinity, he is God, He is a person, and the amazing thing is He lives inside of us. Jesus couldn't be here on earth any longer, but He said, I'll send someone else. And who did He send? He sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. In the Old Testament, the anointing of the Holy Spirit would come upon people, but through the blood of Jesus Christ and because of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That's why we don't need a written law. We have the Word of God, and we have the voice of God in our hearts. So I want to ask you, are you listening? You may be distracted. I think there's a few people here who got some bad news today. Someone who's probably worried about a family member. There may be other things going through your mind. Maybe it's a job concern. I don't know what it might be, but it is very important that we use our time wisely. You've made an investment coming here of your time because you wanted to receive from God's Word, right? Well, there'll be little thoughts that will come through your mind and get you thinking about, I wonder about the kids, I wonder about home, I wonder with my car if that's a big problem, I wonder what this person said or that person said, and these distractions keep us back from really hearing God's Word. You've experienced it in your prayer time, right? You can expect that you'll experience it here. You'll tend to go a little off track. You'll say, oh, he's boring. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to put up with this. Whatever. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray again for that anointing of the Holy Spirit upon this place and the flooding of the Holy Spirit within you so that as we hear the Word of God today, you're able to say, that Word's for me. That really ministers to me. How many of you want to go home from here tonight with the knowledge that God spoke at least one important thing to you? I want that too. That's what we all want, right? Let's pray again. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who paid the ultimate price for us. And we thank you, Father that you send forth the Holy Spirit with your Son, Jesus, and we thank you that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit is active throughout the world, even though it doesn't look like it at times. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is holding things together. And Father, I pray that this place would be filled with your presence, with your power, not only me personally as a believer, but this place. We tell all oppression to leave in Jesus' name. We say to any distractions, go in Jesus' name. 
And Lord, we ask you to help us to be focused. We know the seed's good, your word. We pray that our hearts might be open. Father, I pray that you would bring to mind things you want me to say or share. And I pray, Father, that people would really receive at least one important truth or word to bring home with them tonight. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're going to talk about why do Christians have trials. It's not only Christians who wonder about trials. Don't they write books that even say, why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever wondered why Christians have trials? Well, there's basically two extremes regarding trials. First of all, one extreme is to say that God, desiring us to grow, will bombard us with every type of trial. That he won't relent, we'll just be hit with one thing after another. And the second extreme is basically, there will be no trials in the life of someone who really has faith and walks with God. Now, we might have succumbed more to the second extreme, which basically says if we're really walking with God and we really have faith, we won't have trials. But that's not the truth. And we're going to look at the Word of God and see that God allows trials, and there's many reasons. Okay? So what do you think God's ultimate purpose is for each one of us? How many of you believe it's to make us happy? You got the intonation of my voice and decide I'm not going to raise my hand. But many people think that God's only desire is to make us happy. Think about it. What do you think God's ultimate desire is for us? His ultimate desire is to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. If you know what the end goal is, you're going to know what the process might be. And so there's times we would just like to sit back and be happy. God has other plans. He wants to transform us into the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, which means having the same character, the same behavior, the same goals, and the same ability. Now, that's God's plan, so we have to remember what his overall plan is. My overall plan might be to make me happy, but that isn't God's overall plan. So God allows trials to perfect us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, so that he might be the first of many brothers. Not that we will ever be God, not that we will be capital B brother, but we will be members of his family, having the character and the ability that Jesus had. Okay? That's not my teaching, so I better go back here. All right. God will never put us through more trials that are really necessary for our call in life. How many of you have been praying that God would use you more? No one? A few. Okay. Have you noticed that the trials tend to go up a little bit? God's working on your character. So we're going to look at the trials, the reasons for the trials. God never puts us through more than we are able to handle. And the good news is that he's always with us. And we have to keep before our eyes that we're not living just for this life. This life is just a breath in terms of eternity. You know, God wants us to develop. He wants us to mature. We are part of his family. We will live with him forever. The more we mature, the more we're able to experience him, his presence and his power. We need to keep in mind, too, that even though we go through difficult times here on earth, the rewards are waiting for us far outweigh any problems that we go through here. So the Bible gives us reasons for trials or suffering. The first one we want to look at, reason for trials, we live in a fallen world. 
Have you read Genesis recently? Man lived in perfect fellowship with God. God walked through the garden. Man talked with God. God talked with him. They had perfect fellowship. What happened? Man decided that wasn't enough. There was the fall. Believed the lies of the devil. And so we have the fall, which started affecting everything in creation. It affects not only humans, it affects animals, it affects plant life, it affects everything. The fall permeates all of creation. And the day will come that all is renewed. The first step of renewal is renewing human beings. When we get saved, we're new creations, isn't that correct? And we look forward to the time that all creation will be renewed. So we live in a fallen world. If you look in the beginning of Genesis, you'll see that Cain killed Abel. You see that evil got so bad, so rapidly, that God had to flood the whole earth and get rid of everyone, except Noah and his family. So because of sin, because of the devil, because of our fellowship with him through our ancestors, you know, the world has fallen. Now, there's evil in the world. You ever wonder why things are happening in the world? I'm waiting for people to say, there's just real evil. Evil is operating in the world. What can we do? We feel powerless. Do you ever feel powerless? I do, and I think, well, I can do is pray about it. Things are going their course. People make strange decisions. They have strange opinions. I just don't understand it. So there's real evil. Even though we're trying to be nice people, we can experience trials because of the evil that's in the world. The evil that's working through other people, right? We can experience trials in our own lives because of even the poor choices of other people. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You may have people in your family that have made poor choices. What does that do to you? Causes you some problems. You have a trial, you have a loss of happiness. You have a sense, I wish things would change. So the first reason for trials or sufferings is basically we live in a fallen world. There's evil in the world, don't discount it. We're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go through some of these things. But the actions of others. Think of all the Christians in Syria and the Middle East, different places. The trials they are going through, what is the reason for it? Evil in the world. The actions of other people. And the poor choices that people make. Secondly, what's another reason for trials or sufferings? Now, this is kind of interesting. We usually don't tend to want to think about this. But we can experience trials or suffering as discipline for sin. That surprise you? When we sin, we break fellowship with God. We make ourselves very vulnerable. And I'm not talking about all the minor imperfections or the small things we do and we're sorry about. I'm talking about people primarily with willful sin. They make a decision and they keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over. If someone's doing that, you can expect discipline. Think about your own children, those of you that have children. Do so you let them keep doing the same thing over and over and over or over? Or is there discipline that's applied? So when we, dis- when we sin, primarily serious sin, primarily willful sin, Primarily habitual sin, not just talking about we all sin daily through omission or what we do. I'm talking about willful habits that we know are sin, but we just keep doing them over and over again. Things God has spoken to us about. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You don't need to tell you that you shouldn't be doing something because God told you himself. Right? Right? that little voice in there. And so keeping in mind God's overall purpose for us, that little voice of the Holy Spirit says, don't 
do that anymore. Right? And so when we sin, we break fellowship with God. If we refuse to change our minds regarding sin, we will go into deeper discipline, more problems. Why are a lot of people unhappy today? Because they're not in fellowship with God. We're even talking about Christians who don't live as Christians. And I'm not talking about anyone being better than anyone. I'm talking about people who know that lifestyle is evil. God has spoken to it. Or people who are doing things that very clearly are against God's will. And they're Christians. I love to read Facebook. They talk about how great God is and all that. And I'm thinking, why are you living with your girlfriend? Why are you two having a baby? Somehow it doesn't compute. I guess I'm getting old. Is that it? I just don't understand how people do that. But anyway, when we sin, we break fellowship with God. Unless we change our mind regarding sin, and what does that mean? I agree with God that this is sin. That's what repentance is. I agree with what God says that is sin. Unless we come to that point, we're going to remain in broken fellowship. Now, discipline for sin is only one of the reasons for trials. It's not every, but it's something we need to keep in mind. Have you ever thought someone's lifestyle, why are they living like that? They go from one problem to another. And they say they love Jesus. Well, it's discipline for sin. Now, everyone's having a problem doesn't mean the sin in their life, serious sin. We look at Job. Was Job in sin? No. He was righteous. He was being attacked, right? We'll talk a little bit more about being attacked. Let's look at James. First, I want to look at James 1, 2 to 4, which we didn't go over. I'm getting a little bit too excited about this. I'm missing some of my main points. James 1, 2-4, regarding why do Christians have trials. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, and complete, not lacking anything. Keep in mind what we said about God's overall plan, right? And so we should consider it joy because God's perfecting us. God's transforming us. He cares enough about us to make us like Jesus. We didn't expect that, right? We just thought, oh, I got saved, now I'm going to heaven. We forgot about the whole middle part. This is the process of transformation. This is the process of being conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's the part many of us don't like. But that's God's plan. In James 4.17, I was talking about discipline for sin. It says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, we're not talking about just doing bad things. We're talking about not doing good things that you're supposed to do. How many of you have had the prompting from the Holy Spirit to do something good for someone? The Holy Spirit will prompt us to do certain things. He's in control, right? How many of you, and be honest, we've all been there, Maybe you had that prompting, but you didn't act soon enough, or you ignored it, and then you felt bad about it later. Anyone there? And so it's sin when we don't do what we know we should do. And if we know the Lord, if we know Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we should know His voice. And we get to know His voice the more time we spend with Him. And so if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and don't do it, it's sin for them. And we saw earlier in James, talking to brothers and sisters, talking to Christians, it says we'll face trials of many kinds. 
The testing of your faith? You say you have faith? Let me test it. God will show you how much faith you really have. Have you ever been surprised to find out that you had more faith than you thought? Have you ever been surprised to find out that you were a big bluff? That you weren't really trusting God? Even though you talked about great faith, you didn't really have it when you came into the trial yourself. And so, we're talking about sin, we're talking about discipline. I want to make one point too. I felt the Holy Spirit told me today. It's from John 5.14. I don't think I have it on there. But you can look it up. Jesus came along and healed a man on the side of the pool of Siloam. He was the paralytic. And the man went and told everybody he was healed. And then he came back to Jesus. Jesus said something very interesting. Something that kind of haunts me at times. Particularly when we're talking about trials as discipline for sin. Jesus said, go and sin no more or something worse will happen to you. That gives me shivers. Now, I know the overall meaning is, as most commentators would tell us, that that means if the man doesn't stop sinning, he's going to go to hell. But we know that sinning, the number of sins and all that, doesn't add up and decide whether we go to hell or not. It's accepting the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. I believe we can also see the interpretation of that passage as basically... If you continue to sin and go even a little bit deeper, you're opening yourself up to a whole world of trouble. Not that that man's problem was the result of sin, but God said, God knew his heart. There was some sin there. Go home and stop sinning so that something worse doesn't happen to you. If we continue willfully sinning, after God brings us under conviction, we open ourselves up to a whole Pandora's box of problems because we're not walking in fellowship with God. We don't have His protection. Right? We're open to whatever the enemy wants to bring against us. So I share that with you because that's a scripture the Lord really convicted me of. Don't continue sinning, or something worse will happen to you. How many know what I'm talking about? Does that minister to you at all? And so there are trials, there is suffering that comes as a result of sin. Now discipline, kind of interesting, we're talking about trials as discipline for sin. It's important to make a distinction here between discipline and punishment. Think about it. Do you know the difference? Discipline is always forward-looking. When you discipline your children, you're looking forward so that they become the people you want and they don't do worse things or they don't really get off track. Discipline is forward-looking. What do you think punishment is? It's looking back and it's demanding payment for what was done. So if we are believers, God isn't punishing us. God is disciplining us. Discipline is forward-looking. Punishment looks backward and demands payment. Okay? Now, there's four principles of divine discipline. I want to share a little bit here, too. The purpose of discipline. God disciplines us for our good. It's for our good, so that we can really have the abundant life, so that we can have victory over sin, so that we grow in character, if we're really serving the Lord, so that we have greater anointing, greater ability. God disciplines us for, us, for our good. Let's look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 11. And I'm sorry, I can't spend a whole lot of time on each one. I told you probably this whole teaching is a little presumptuous, but... Uh, you can read more about it when you get home. Hebrews 12, 1 to 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Each one of us has an individual race, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Is that ministering to anyone? Anyone getting anything out of that? A lot in there, right? There's a great cloud of witnesses, those that have gone before us, those that are in glory, perhaps are watching us, seeing how we do. But we're also surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses in the world. People wondering how we react to trials, how we react to suffering, how we react to those things that life throws at us. So we're surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses. Let us throw off. Don't live with it. You can get rid of it. The things that hinder, are your things holding you back? Are your possessions holding you back? What's holding you back? We're supposed to be running the race to become like Jesus and fulfill our calling. And I can't tell you what that is. Only you know. The Holy Spirit will reveal it. But let's throw off everything that hinders and let's get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us, right? And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so we look at Jesus. We don't want to grow weary and lose heart. Verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let me ask you this now. Can any of you think back on a trial that at the time you thought it was horrible and you would never want to go through it again, but you look back now and you say, that made me a better person. That really helped me. I wouldn't want to do it again. But I'm so glad as I look back now, I'm glad I went through that. Can anyone relate to that? I think most of us can, right? And so, God disciplines us for our good. Discipline is turned to a blessing as soon as we confess our sin and begin to trust God again. You're probably very familiar with 1 John 1, 5-10. Let me just read that for you. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You can't, ha you can't be walking in sin, willful sin, 
serious sin and still have fellowship with God. It's just impossible. Because God is perfect in him, there is no darkness at all. He is all light, no darkness. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If you want to walk with God, if you want to have fellowship with God, you have to follow the Holy Spirit and God's Word and get rid of the sin as God enables you to do it. And grow. Right? A lot of people don't want to do that. But if you continue in willful sin, you won't have fellowship with God. You'll make yourself very vulnerable to all the evil influences around you. And have you ever noticed that people sometimes who get in a bad situation decide on a sinful lifestyle or get offended or whatever happens that they break fellowship even with us? If you find that, like, where'd you go? Well, don't keep looking at yourself. Maybe it's not you. (laughs) Maybe they've broken fellowship with God. Maybe they've decided on something else. They don't want to be here in the light. They don't want to be with you. You know? Have you ever wondered about that? Sometimes we take that very personally. But we can't continue in the darkness and walk in fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word isn't in us. Again, I apologize that I'm going through these things quickly, but I'm hoping through the sheet that I gave you, you will be able to read them again and make your own notes or whatever. But I wanted to at least come up with some of the main reasons why people have trials. So we're talking about discipline for sin, If we confess our sin, we begin to trust God again. We want to walk with God. Things may very clearly turn around. All discipline is temporary. That's one of the four principles. Discipline is temporary. And discipline will result either in a harvest of righteousness or a root of bitterness. Now, in Hebrews 12... It talks about, in verse 11, it talks about the harvest of righteousness. And in Hebrews 12, verse 15, it talks about a root of bitterness. Let me read verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We will face trials of every kind. God will allow that. If we allow the trial to run its course and we keep our faith and keep trusting God and not become bitter, uh, there will be a harvest. There will be peace. Verse 15 says, though, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Some people, when they're going through trials or difficulties, become bitter. We don't want to become bitter. We want the harvest of righteousness. We don't want the root of bitterness. Have you ever been around a bitter person? What happens? They're negative, they talk down. Pretty soon you get influenced by that, right? You ever have a bitter person who's having a problem in church? They talk to this one, they talk to that one. Pretty soon they get everyone bitter. They get everyone turned away. It produces something horrible. It defiles many people, right? And so it says here, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, which means God's grace is available no matter what you're going through, no matter what trial, no matter what suffering. God's grace is... His unmerited favor is available to you if you ask Him. God, I'm going through a terrible trial. I hate it. I don't think I can stand up. I need strength. I need your power. What will God do? He will release it. But if you don't do that, if you fall short of the grace of God, you're going to become bitter. Right? Right? 
Now, the third reason for trials and suffering, there are trials to keep us from pride. Now, pride was a problem in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember? What was the pride? Appeal to the fact, I want to be like God. That's pride. Not recognizing your rightful place. I want to be like God. I want to be equal to God. I want to know the difference between good and evil. And that was started primarily from Lucifer. And from what we know in the Bible, it appears very likely that he wanted to exalt himself and to be equal to God, even though he was a created angel. God is not created, but Lucifer was. And magnificent, the most magnificent angel ever created. Got puffed up with pride and decided, you know, I want to be like God. And so trials can keep us from pride. I'm not going to read it right now, but 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10, it talks about Paul's struggles. Paul had a struggle in that he was given great revelation. Things we can't even understand. We can only see from his words in the Bible that, wow, he really knew God. He had revelations we have to study to be able to understand. Even Peter said, Paul speaks about things we have a hard time understanding. So Paul had some great revelations. You would think someone that favored and someone that used by God wouldn't have any trials. But he says very clearly, I had a messenger of a sa Satan sent to attack me. And I kept saying, God, get this off me. I don't want this. I don't need this. And God said, my power is made great in weakness. And so, if you're really seeking to serve God, if you're really trying to be all that God wants you to be, it doesn't mean you won't have trials. You may be more severely um, anointed by God with some trials so that you don't succumb to pride. It's very easy for man to succumb to pride. And so, there's trials to keep us from pride. Number four, there are trials to build faith. There's trials that we go through because God wants to increase our faith. Our faith gets flabby if we don't have challenges, just like our muscles get flabby if we don't have any exercise. How many of you sometimes don't mind if your faith gets a little flabby? No one's willing to admit that. I have times like that. <laughs> No, I'm not praying for more faith. Anyone decide I'm not praying for more faith? Because <laughs> we know that God will have challenges to help us have more faith. What is faith? Basically believing in what you can't see. Standing on God's promises even though you can't see. Saying it's true even though you don't feel it. And so there are trials to build faith. Gold is purified in great heat. Let me look at this here. We're going to look at 1 Peter 1, 6-9. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, the great, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, it's kind of interesting. We can look at this in the sense, too, when a person accepts Jesus Christ as Savior, the spirit in man, man is the only one that has a spirit. Animals don't have spirits. They have souls, they have emotions, personalities. Only man has a spirit. And so the spirit is dead because of sin. When someone accepts Jesus Christ as Savior, the spirit in that person becomes alive. And they have fellowship with God. However, 
From living in the world, the soul, the emotions, the memories, the will, all that has been tainted by the world. And so over time, those things had to be changed, renewed, right? And so that's why we have the trials. That's what growth is all about. Changing our emotions, our will, our personalities, our character. And so there are trials to build faith. Okay? Going to have to move on here. Number five, trials to teach obedience. This is kind of interesting in Hebrews 5, 7 to 10, in terms of trials to teach obedience. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, this is the main part, though he was a son, the son, or son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Isn't that interesting? We never think of Jesus learning ambition, uh, obedience. But Jesus was not only God, he was also man. And so we need to learn obedience And Jesus needed to learn to obey the Father's will and not his own. And so he's a model, he's an example for us. So son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's more comments I could make, but I can't time-wise. If you have any questions on some of these, maybe Melchizedek or what he can ask me later. But isn't that interesting to note that Jesus learned obedience through the trials that he suffered? Amen? Number six, trials to prevent us from falling into sin. That's kind of interesting. Let's read the scripture there. 1 Peter 4, 1 to 5. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so... There are trials to prevent us from falling into sin. God allows us to suffer at times, to experience trials, as this points out here, so you can get your focus changed. Have any of you ever been in the place where you were so worried about your future and your retirement and your job, and maybe you got hit with an illness? What happened? Your focus changed. The most important thing to me is to have good health, to be well, to be able to take care of my family. And so trials and sufferings very often change our focus. It's the same thing with sin. We begin to decide, well, I don't need to be thinking about sin. I need to be thinking about God. You know, I need to put my focus on him. Now, number seven, this is important, and I'm sorry I'm going to go a few minutes over. I told you this was a little presumptuous, but number seven, trials equip us to comfort others. This is very important. If you ever wanted a reason to know why you went through something, this may help you out. Trials equip us to comfort others, 2 Corinthians 3, 1, 3 to 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our troubles, so that what? We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. A lot of us would like to do everything in our minds, but sometimes if you really want to have a ministry to help people, to encourage people, to comfort people, you're going to have to go through things yourself. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The things that you've gone through are the things that you can most help other people with. And so that will give us encouragement. Some of the trials we go through are to give us the ability of Christ. And you can't do it all in your head. You have to do it through practice. I know what it is to feel that way. I can help you. I've gone through that. And so God comforts us and we're able to comfort others. Number eight, trials that glorify God. Now you can read Daniel 3. I won't take the time to do that because I know we have children over in the children's ministry. But there are trials that glorify God. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the decree that everyone had to bow down and worship the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the young men said, we won't do it. And they were going through that trial. They didn't want that trial. But this trial was to glorify God. The punchline of it is this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And this is really the best part. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Did that glorify God? Did they glorify God? There are trials that God will use extreme things that glorify Him. I think it's so neat that they knew God was capable of delivering them. He's God. But they said, even if He does not. Are you able to say that in your own life with some of the trials or difficulties you have? I know God's able to do it. But even if He doesn't, I will not get bitter I will still follow Him. I'll still keep praising Him. I'll still keep blessing Him. Amen? Amen. And now, this is very important. Number nine, trials to train us in spiritual warfare. Now, this is very important because there are a lot of people today, a lot of Christians who do not believe in the fight that's going on. They do not believe in spiritual warfare. I don't know how you can take parts of the Bible and not other parts. There's a war going on. We're going to read about it. There are other people who are disinterested in the fight. I don't want to fight. It's too much of a hassle. I just want to go along and be happy and get along with everybody. I don't want to fight. I don't have any interest in the fight. And there's some people that have gotten discouraged in the fight. Read Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 with me. This is an extremely important scripture for our day. I don't know where your position is on spiritual warfare, but there's real evil in the world. We agree on that, right? We agree that Satan is the prince of the air, the prince of this age. He's working behind the scenes. Jesus is Lord. The day will come. Every knee will bow. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the King of Kings. But right now, Satan is able to do some things. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Is this scripture still for today? It is. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes into your life, into your situation, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. What words did you notice repeated several times there? Stand, 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 don't give in, right? Resist the devil. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of fiery darts of the evil one, the things he sends against you. You can either say, take me, I give up, there's no fight, I'm not interested, and you'll be wounded. You'll be hit. He'll take you down, and that can be the source of many trials in your life. Take the helmet of salvation, know who you are, know you're saved, know you, who your Father is, right? And the sword of the Holy Spirit, which is the Word of God, and fight back. How many of you agree with me we need to fight? And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. We have to end. There's a couple of other things there. Did any of you get anything out of this? Any truth or something that really speaks to you? There's a few other things to read there. Isaiah 40, wait on the Lord, hope in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Exchange your strength for His strength. And Romans 8, 28 tells us God works for good for those He knew. He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. There's one question on the bottom of the sheet that I gave you. What situation is too difficult for God to handle in your life? I am the Lord God Almighty. Is there anything too difficult for me? We have trials, but who do we turn to? We turn to Him. If it's from the devil, you push it off you. If it's from God and He's allowing that, nothing can happen to you unless God allows it. If it's something God is using to perfect you, rejoice, pray, exchange your strength for His. But I want to remind you too, don't just accept everything that comes against you because the devil will try to hit you with a few fiery darts too. The Holy Spirit will let you know what it is. Is it from the devil or is it from God? Let's pray. I thank you for your attention. I'm sorry I went a little over. I knew I was a little presumptuous. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We bless you. Father, I pray for those having trials tonight that if any of them are from the enemy, they would just push back and say, no way, Jose, I'm not taking this. This isn't from God. And Lord, if it's from you, that we just trust you and praise you and bless you and give you all the glory. Holy Spirit, move in hearts. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for your attention. It was good sharing with you.